Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Wednesday, June 29th, 2022. And today will be better than yesterday. Producing from his home studio in the foothills of Connecticut is Taylor Schwenk. I'm Buster only working from my home in New York. And Sarah Abbott is back. Sarah, how was your sister's wedding? It was perfect. It was the most perfect day. I cried like a baby several times. I made people cry during my speech, so that's all you could ask for, you know? Wow. Did you make her cry during your speech? Absolutely, I did. I brought out the big guns. I, right, I, now, I made the video. Were there songs played for in, in honor of your name and the honor of your sister's name during the course of the wedding? There weren't. There was actually a no-play playlist that she made with songs that would get people too rowdy. And so that one was on there, actually. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, In City Field last night, the Astros and the Mets and a guy who looks like he could be an MVP candidate in the American League added to his numbers. The lefty kicks and delivers. And Alvarez hits it in the air pretty deep to center. Going back on it is Nimmo on the warning track at the wall. See you later! Two-run jack for Jordan Alvarez. And a 7-0 lead for the Astros. Alvarez goes deep for the 23rd time this year. Yeah, he's within five home runs of Aaron Judge. That was Robert Ford, KBME, 790 AM. The Los Angeles Angels announced that Archie Bradley is out after fracturing his elbow, tumbling over the front railing as he went out for that brawl against the Mariners on Sunday. That wasn't the only cost. And Bradley, by the way, will be out about four weeks at least. He's not expected to pick up a baseball for that time. And then, of course, he's going to have to build up his arm strength. There were 12 folks suspended in the wake of the Mariners and the Angels brawl the other day, including interim manager Phil Nevin, who was suspended 10 games, Jesse Winker, seven games. Even an interpreter got suspended. So it was as crazy as we thought. Yesterday, Angels back on the field. Shohei Otani did it again. Otani looking dead right center field. Forget about it. Three solo homers in the inning. Otani goes yard. Shohei Otani, a rocket double off the wall. This mammoth home run to left center field. Sigoy. Wow, Shohei. Yeah, but there weren't a lot of cheers in this game because the Angels were obliterated by the White Sox 11 4. Johnny Cueto gave up a home run there, but he was really good overall. Three runs allowed in six innings. The White Sox win. Bryce Harper is going to have surgery in that broken left thumb, which he suffered when he was hit by a pitch on Saturday by Blake Snell. It's not clear exactly how long he's going to be out, but it looks like about six weeks. So they're going to try to come back and, and compete at the end of the season, hopefully with Bryce Harper in the lineup. They were facing the Braves last night, the surging Braves, and Atlanta got it done again. Two on the mat. Hit well to right field, rising back to the wall, and the Braves have the lead. A thunderous blast by Matt Olson. And he indeed parks one over the right field wall, and the Braves are back on top four to three. That was Matt Olson's second home run in the game. That sounded from 680. The fan, the Braves win 5-3. to three. Uh, The Braves placed closer Kenley Jansen on the 15-day injured list because of a, a regular heartbeat. This is something that he's dealt with before in his major league career. The Yankees, on a record pace, 
faced the Oakland Athletics in Yankee Stadium last night. And Marwin Gonzalez continues to be someone who really helps this team. High drive. Right center. There it goes. See ya. A long home run off the bat of Gonzalez. The Yankees 124th of the year. And the Yankees lead 2-0. On the way to a 2-1 win. That was Michael Kay on the Yes Network. Now, Aaron Boone, early in the game, was screaming at the home plate umpire because of low strikes called on Aaron Judge. Here was Boone after he was ejected in the eighth inning. With Stu there in the eighth inning, was it that pitch or was it the accumulation of pitches at the knee? Yeah, accumulation the last couple nights that, yeah. The pitch tracker shows all these pitches are below the strike zone. What can you do with umps and MLB to change the way they're doing it? Just hopefully, hopefully everyone's paying attention. The Ones Who Get It Done is brought to you by Granger. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry. Backed by 24-7 support and access to product specialists. Call, click Granger.com, or stop by. In Seattle, you know who got it done? How about Jesse Winker, who, of course, got news of his suspension the other day. But last night, as his suspension is under appeal, he helped the Mariners beat the Orioles 2-0. It's on the way to Winker. Swing and a fly ball deep into the gap in right center field. Hayes going back to the one. He tracked near the wall. Leaps up. And this one is off the top of the fence. Extra bases. Crawford will score. Julio Ronnie third. He'll score. Jesse Winker in its second base with a two-out, two-run double. And the Mariners have the lead. Two to nothing here in the bottom of the eighth inning. The San Diego Padres, Fernando Tatis Jr. received what the team turned as positive news on his return from a broken wrist with his doctor saying Tuesday he can begin to swing a bat in two weeks. I will say, originally, when he suffered this uh, injury, uh, as we get news of it, right after the lockout ended, the thought was he was going to be back in early June, and now the conversation about his return is more related to August. A really interesting game last night between the Blue Jays and the Red Sox Not only because of lead changes, but because of what might loom in the future. The Jays led this game 3-0 over the Red Sox. Trevor Story, punch back. That's a rocket out to left. Gurriel backing up over his head, and that ball gets out of here. Home run on a searing line drive by Trevor Story to put the Red Sox on the board. Gurriel had turned around to play it off the fence. And it went right over the top of that wall, 375 feet. And number 12 for Trevor. That was Dave O'Brien on Nesson with that call. Now uh, the Red Sox trail 4-2 in the top of the seventh inning. Arroyo now the runner at first. Cranked into center field. Tapia racing back. He's back. He's back turning. That ball's out of here. Ref Snyder onto the batter's eye, and he has tied the ball game. Rob Refsnyder out of that leadoff spot and cranks one 425, and it's a brand new ball game. Red Sox started this game as the number one wild card in the American League. The Blue Jays, the number two wild card in the American League. In the top of the eighth inning, with the score tied for all, this is what happened. And the 2 2. There it is. There's a line driving a base hit in the left field. Bogart's rounding. Guriel firing. He's in to score. And the Red Sox are on top five to four. Christian Vasquez with another big hit. 
They had the lead. They had a save situation. Tanner Houck has been terrific in that role, but he was unavailable because he hasn't been vaccinated against COVID-19, and those who aren't vaccinated aren't allowed into Canada. Hansel Robles came in to try to close it out. Bobachet was at the plate. And a swing and a base hit in the right. Here comes Zimmer, and this game is tied. And that rally would continue. The 2-0. Swing at a ground ball. Pass the reach of Bogarts into left field. And the Blue Jays are going to win it. Springer scores. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. delivers. They're jumping up and down to the left of the mound, celebrating a walk-off win. That from Sportsnet 590, the fans. So for the Red Sox, a lot of conversation about vaccinations and competitive disadvantage. And we'll talk with Xavier Scruggs coming up about why that's going to be important down the stretch and into October. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, last night we recorded a new episode of SV Pod. Not a lot of sports talk on there. Mostly the guys uh, pining for their summer vacation. Uh, but they did talk a little bit of Orioles. So check that out. SV Pod, wherever you listen to podcasts. And ESPN, in partnership with Peyton Manning's Omaha Production, present Moxie Bets. Make bets with Moxie with betting expert Katie Mox and her merry band of gambling insiders. That's Moxie Bets, wherever you listen to your podcasts. A great new show on our roster. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code BASEBALL. That's code baseball. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call. Click Granger.com or just stop by. Xavier Scruggs is an analyst for ESPN. You see him all over social media. Uh, Xavier, I love following you on Twitter because you sent out the coolest videos. You're very direct, and I love how you highlight, uh, you know, the great stuff that players are doing. No, I appreciate that. That's a big part of, you know, why I got on to – this side of, of the game, right, is I want to be able to highlight some of those great things that, that happen within our game and also outside of our game. All right. In Boston today, a lot of conversation is going to be about what happened in Toronto last night. Uh, we knew going into the series that Tanner Houck, their closer, dynamic closer, was not going to be available because he's not vaccinated. We got the vaccine mandate in Canada. Uh, folks can't come in unless they've been vaccinated. Uh, Jaron Duran also not available, uh, and they blow the say they blow a lead with Hansel Robles on the mound in the bottom of the ninth inning last night. What do you think the conversation is in the Red Sox clubhouse today, or is there any? Yeah, no, I definitely think there's conversation. Um, you know, because they understand how important it is for guys to be available, not just necessarily to be out there on the field, but also for the depth factor. 
Um, and, and these are important games in the AL East. You're talking about a, a Red Sox team that hasn't won a series against any AL East team. Uh, those are important things moving forward. So I look at kind of within the clubhouse, there's always that kind of talk between players, but I think it might be something more of, of a manager maybe making a statement to a young player like a Duran or, or to, to Tanner Houck saying, hey, man, let's just kind of consider thinking about the future of this team and where we can be down the road. I don't even think it necessarily always has to be a conversation between players. I think it could be a coach that has a good relationship with the player that might try to get his ear a little bit because if you think about what this team is capable of doing and how far they've come since the beginning of the season, there's a situation where they may end up playing against a Toronto in Toronto in a playoff series like that. So I just look at it as that it may come down to a factor of thinking about the team may be bigger than my own wants or, or, or wishes during the time. And it's, it's a time where we have better information about vaccines and all that stuff now. So it may be something where guys change their mind and become more open to having the vaccine and, and being able to play and be there for their team. And we've seen that. Look, all the Yankees are vaccinated. All the Yankees are available when they played in Toronto. All the Blue Jays, for that matter, are available yes. uh, to play there. And I want to back you up on the idea that uh, there's a real possibility that these two teams might face each other. When you look at the standings in the American League, the Yankees are running away with the East. You know, they're like 12 games ahead of these two teams. As of today, the Red Sox would be the um, second wild card seed. The Blue Jays would be the first wild card seed, which means that first round series, if the playoffs started today, that first round series would be three games in Toronto for the Red Sox. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I don't know how you look at the American League, but I feel like that, you know, the Yankees clearly are going to wind up winning the American League East. And then it's very likely the Blue Jays and the Red Sox are going to be the number one and number two wild card teams with clubs like, uh, you know, the Guardians or maybe the White Sox or maybe the Rangers get involved at some point. Certainly the Tampa Bay Rays are in the mix. But I do feel like the Blue Jays and Red Sox are clearly going to wind up being the number one and number two wild card teams. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it, it's close because I still think, you know, with 85 some odd games left, um, I, I think the one factor is Tampa. Do I, like, yeah. if this team is able to get healthy and we know what they did last year, I, we haven't seen Tampa healthy altogether yet. You look at Shane Boz just got back. Luis Patino's been out. Um, some depth from that bullpen has been out. And then you look at Franco just got back. Mar Margot's been out. Brandon Lau. I think that's going to be the X factor when it comes to this AL East and what happens with wild card situation. So uh, not only could those two teams play, by the way, but also games 157, 158, 159 of the regular season will be in Toronto for the Red Sox. And you mentioned, you know, maybe it's a manager, maybe it's a coach, maybe it's a player. I kind of feel like it needs to be someone from the front office, you know, whether it's Sam Kennedy, the president, or Heim Bloom, the, you know, the, uh, uh, who leads baseball operations for the Red Sox, or maybe even an owner. I, I feel like that the message has to come from there. Uh, it feels like it, it might be something that, uh, you know, Alex Cora has so much on his plate on a daily basis that in terms of clubhouse culture, in terms of dealing with players, I feel like it needs to come from higher. Degree or disagree? Well, well I, I disagree because I look at the relationships between players, coaches. You mentioned the clubhouse culture with Alex Cora. That's as good as it's going to get. 
Yeah. I think once you start having front office kind of step into a situation, it may be something where, hey, I haven't I haven't had that type of relationship with you for you to tell me what I should do with my body. So I think that may be more of a situation where it's like, hey, that may rub somebody the wrong way, especially a young player who's already so adamant about not having the vaccine, right? So for me, I think it has to come more from a trusted member of the team, somebody that I've already created a good relationship with rather than the front office. So on Monday's podcast, we talked about the rumblings that Freddie Freeman was going to change representation. And uh, administratively, what happened was is that he informed the union of a change in his representation. He is currently listed as being self-represented. And a, an email went out to all agents on Sunday basically saying no contact with Freddie because uh, he doesn't want to get besieged in the middle of a season by a bunch of text messages, phone calls from agents. Uh, I, I don't think this is completely over. Freddie kind of hinted at that, said uh, it's in a state of flux. Uh, I think there's still conversations going on between his old uh, representation, Excel, which took him through the, the spring negotiations with the Braves and with the Dodgers. Uh, we'll see if he winds up going back to Excel. But X, what do you make of all this? Because <laughs> in the middle of a season, it's pretty unusual. Yeah, I, I think it tells us a few things, right? I think one of the biggest things is we understood that Freddie Freeman wanted to be a Brave, but I don't think we understood just how much until this past weekend and until this news came out about the, represent, the representation, maybe not representing him the way that he wanted to. And maybe this was a situation where he assumed that he was going to be a Brave, that everything was going to be taken care of. And obviously that didn't end the way that he wanted it to. And we saw the emotions come into play all weekend. I think another thing we understand is maybe this is a situation where XL maybe overplayed their hand. Maybe they thought they had a better understanding of the relationship and the, the contract negotiations. And that wasn't the case either. So if that is the case, that is terms for being able to say, hey, I, I don't need your representation anymore because you aren't representing me the right way. You haven't done what I've needed you to do. So I think we just get a better understanding of why there was so much emotion towards this weekend. Because if you think back, a lot of people were kind of like, man, you, you think he should be over it by now, but we understand why now. He, he expected to be in Atlanta this yeah. past weekend wearing a Braves uniform. That's exactly right. I you know, said over the weekend and on the Sunday night broadcast that uh, there's certainly gratitude uh, in Freddie's reaction in response to what the Braves fans were giving him. But I absolutely believe, and I did have talked to a lot of his friends, some in the Braves organization, who believes that there was anger and sadness mixed in there too. Because yeah, that he really feels like that, hey, this is, the, this is what he should still have. This is what he, he valued. You know, he should be the Braves' current version of Cal Ripken or Tony Gwynn or Derek Jeter, one of these guys who stays with the same franchise the whole time. And in the end, uh, I, you know, uh, I've had a back and forth with various people on this. In the end, when you look at what he wanted, first choice was to stay with the Braves. And the contract that he got with the Dodgers, which included $57 million in deferred dollars out of 162, plus you factor in the state taxes of California at 13%, is actually for less money than what the Braves' last offer was. So we took a longer deal for less money with the second choice for him. Yeah, that's and, and to me that just tells that that tells me a lot about the story of negotiations. Obviously, the lockout played a factor into this one. We don't have all the ins and outs and details, 
But I think we understand that that Freddie Freeman and the the figure that he it was as a Brave that should have been something that lasted forever as long as possible. And I had an evaluator tell me that <laughs> to watch Freddie over these last eight games because people have wondered, you know, how is this being received in the Dodger clubhouse? Freddie's last eight games, he's hitting 412, 487 on base, 706 slugging percentage. Uh, an evaluator noted, like he's stepping out, weeping, waving to the crowd, and stepping back in and just raking. And the That's evaluator said, it tells most- you how good of a hitter this guy is. That's what I thought was the most impressive thing is like, guys, people were outside. People were talking like, okay, so much emotion, you know, that's enough of the the crying and whatnot. I'm like, it doesn't matter. This dude is still going out there and raking, doing what he, what he's used to doing consistently year in and year out. And I think just to add on to that, the comments that Kershaw had made about wanting Freddie Freeman to feel as if, you know, the Dodgers can be the same family as the Braves uh, were to him. I think that's telling to you that maybe there's, you know, that clubhouse presence of seeing somebody that still wanted to be a Brave. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I think he'll figure that out. I, I think this whole, the whole issue of his representation and the anger regarding the negotiations, once he gets past that, I think he'll settle in with the Dodgers. I really, you know, yeah. just, uh, you know, he's that good of a player. I want to give this uh, bleacher tweet uh, to you a question from K- uh, Katie Casey. Uh, she asks if Phil Nevin's long suspension, you know, getting 10 games related to that, uh, that incredible brawl between the Mariners and the Angels over the weekend, is that long suspension a sign that baseball is cracking down on retaliation? It feels like they're sending a message. X, what do you think? Yeah, 100%. Um, this is, you know, Michael Hill and what they're doing at the MLB uh, offices. They're, they're trying to make sure that this is taken care of. Um, and, and you understand that, Phil Nevin was in a situation to be able to not not only stop from retaliating, but also when I think about when Jesse Winker was going towards the Angels dugout, most most managers are supposed to hold the team back. There's what you you think about it. They usually hold the team back. Phil Nevin was going towards uh, Jesse Winker as well. So that's a situation where we saw a couple of things that you shouldn't see managers do so blatantly. Yes, I understand that you have to, you know, protect your players if you feel necessary, but there's better ways about going and doing that. We just saw it playing in sight. We saw him bring an opener in to throw it because you know they're going to get ejected. So it was so plain in sight um, that that warranted the 10-game suspension, and um, hopefully we don't see something like this again. So I've known Phil Nevin for a long time, and the great thing about Phil Nevin is he's so honest and he's so direct, and I think in this situation – uh, what was bad for him is that he's so honest and so direct. <laughs> As you know, most of the time in these cases, when you get these bench-clearing incidents and, and pitchers are throwing at hitters, the pitchers will look at you with a straight face and say, oh, that one got away. And everyone will claim ignorance yeah. when speaking with the media. Uh, what Phil did at the end of uh, the game on Saturday after Trout nearly got drilled was about as close to being uh, a sign of premeditation as anything where he's yelling at Scott Service, the Mariners manager, on Saturday night, pointing at his head, right? And then the <laughs> next day, to have that played out, I, I don't – he almost didn't give the – and I love Phil, but he almost didn't give Major League Baseball any choice in terms of throwing coming down with a hammer. No, he didn't care, and, and I don't know if it was kind of, you know, a sign of trying to rally the team together. You know, obviously there's been a lot of frustration over the past couple of months, 
um, something that they can get fired up about and have some emotion and maybe take off the rest of the season. That could be the case. But either way, I look at all the managers that I've had um, when I think about Don Mattingly, when I think about Matt, um, when I think about Matheny, when I think about uh, Mike Schilt, it, it's usually a situation and a lot of managers will tell you, you, you don't retaliate necessarily right away. A lot of times you'll be able to tell your guys, because this is a team you're going to play a lot, right? So it's, hey, we'll take care of it down the road. It may not be the very next day, but we'll take care of it when it doesn't seem to be a situation where it's going to overblow and, and everybody's going to get suspended. All right, storytelling time. What was the worst fight you were ever in? The worst fight that I was ever in, uh, this was triple AAA. Um, I had, I think it was uh, a guy, a guy threw it, uh, Jeremy Hazelbaker. I don't know if you remember the name. I was yeah. in AAA with him with the Cardinals. And the pitcher threw at his head. He missed his head. But then the pitcher, start, as soon as he threw, he started charging the, the batter, Jeremy. And I, and I was in uh, and I was in the dugout. And then guys just started, like you talk about throwing blows. Guys were throwing blows. Guys were kicking each other. Uh, coaches were in on it. Uh, this was a situation where I was like, normally you're like, you're trying to pull somebody off. Like guys were not trying to get pulled off. Guys were going at it. Um, and, and it was a situation where I'd never seen a pitcher throw and then charge the batter. That was, that was nuts for me. Oh, what did you do during the fight? I was, I was one of the ones that was trying to, Hey, let's break, let's break it up. A little. I wasn't throwing any blows. I was the one that's, Hey, pulling guys off, trying to get guys off my teammates. And then also, Oh yeah, I forgot about this. A guy from the other team, when the fight thought, when we thought the fight was over, he ran into our dugout and tried to get after somebody. And, and he didn't end up doing anything because we stopped him, but you don't normally see guys run into the other dugout and, and be able to get in there. So that was another crazy thing. I, I think after covering baseball for more than 30 years, I'm now conditioned to look for individual players as uh, the bench is clear, like, oh, my God, watch out for this guy and see what's going to happen with this guy, in part because I've seen so many players hurt in these things. Uh, like the other day, the first video I watched, I was looking for Trout because I knew he was mad. Uh, you know, he's running in from center field. I was curious about where he would go. And as it turns out, Archie Bradley, relief pitcher for the Angels, suffers a broken elbow, tumbling over the front railing, landing on his, uh, landing on his arm. Uh, Crazy. And, and, and that's the part I think that people miss sometimes is, is I mean, when you have that many big dudes going at it, yeah. there's a lot, uh, a lot of chance for injury. Yeah, and a lot of times you won't even hear about somebody's minor injury or something that happened to them um, during the scuffle, right? A lot of, If it's a big thing, you'll hear about it like Archie Bradley, but there's probably guys that felt, felt something that are tweaked up a little bit today or yesterday that, that you never heard about. Yeah, one of the examples of that, uh, it, there was a, an, a massive brawl. I think this was in 1992 between the Mariners and the Orioles. Uh, Mike Messina hit Bill Hasselman. The bench is clear. Cal Ripken runs in. This is in the middle of his consecutive game streak. And the next day, he could barely move. And there was a question in the Orioles organization whether or not he'd be able to play because his knee was inflamed. Was it, I, I, if I have the story right, it was a scheduled off day. And so he got treatment that day, and then he was able to play the day after that. But they believe, wow. the Orioles did at that time, that if they had had to play that day, the streak would have ended because Cal getting hurt in that fight. Uh, last one before we go, I want to ask you about uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, we got more information yesterday about his recovery. Now it looks like he's going to be backed up sometime into August when he actually comes back and plays. 
And I think there's a, a growing question about whether or not he's going to be the shortstop or if he's going to play in the outfield. Some of the workouts he was doing yesterday were out in the outfield. You've seen him play. You've seen him hit. Uh, if you're Bob Melvin, what's your thought process? Man, th- this one's a tough one for me, Buster, because d- defensively we know he's most comfortable at shortstop. He may not be the the, the most de- defensively solid shortstop, but that's where he's most comfortable. And if I'm thinking about him coming in and being extremely offensive, being extremely productive early on, I feel like I have to put him where he is most comfortable. I, I almost don't want to worry about him trying to get back to playing the outfield and getting super comfortable there and, and worrying about that while that's distracting his hitting. So for me, I'm, I'm seeing, okay, can I plug him right in at shortstop? Can he be defensively more solid than he's been in the past? Um, and, and if that's not the case, then I think I start to think about different ways to make sure he's in the offense, but, for, for me, I have to have him at shortstop just because of, you know, what he represents in the infield. I know there's going to be some misplays, but I'm also thinking about he's had a long period of time now to defensively sure up his game as well. This is something where, okay, maybe he hasn't been able to swing a lot, but my man's been taking a lot of ground balls. He's been out there defensively doing a lot of work. I'm hoping he's gotten himself better over this past year to where the, the shortstop situation isn't an issue anymore. That's that's the thing for me is I'm like, he's got to play shortstop for me. And and if that doesn't work early on and I see issues, then I start to pivot and go somewhere else, outfield, maybe a little bit more DH if Luke Voigt isn't swinging the bat, of Hosmer, somebody, whatever it may be. But I got to put him at short, Buster. All right, X, where are we going to see you next? You're going to see me uh, MLB Central in about uh, an hour and, and ten minutes. All right. On MLB Network. Early on a Wednesday morning. I appreciate you to, uh, joining us. Appreciate you, Buster. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks prevents heartworm disease. Plus, it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Todd Radom is the chief executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen on ball fields all across America or all around the world. Or you can go to his website, toddradom.com. Todd, how you doing this week? Doing well, Buster. How are you, sir? See, that wasn't the answer I anticipated because as has been established on the podcast, you are of Red Sox persuasion in terms of your fandom. And I know that the big conversation in Boston this morning is about baseball and vaccines and the wild card standings and the potential uh the fact that uh, the potential the potential that the Red Sox will not have some of their key players available if they play the Blue Jays in the postseason as you uh, absorb this as a fan give me some thoughts well Buster my first thought is it's a turbulent world so what we're talking about over <laughs> here I'm trying to Trying to kind of balance things out in terms of priorities. But once I step back from that holistic 360 view, you know, this is one of these personal choices. Politics is going to enter into things. But given the fact that these people perform at the highest level of competition in the world, I feel like they have a uh, an obligation to their teammates, to their organization, who is paying them good money, especially in the case of one Chris Sale to do what you need to do. And let's say the Red Sox wind up in Toronto in the postseason, and they are at a deficit for not only bodies, but useful and skilled bodies. That's a problem. Yeah, uh, there's no doubt about that. And that's what I, you know, if I were, if one of these players were a friend and were to ask me advice, I'd say, dude, just think about what it would be like if the Red Sox were eliminated and you were not available in that series because of this and you were introduced in the foul line and opening day next year. Uh, you, Todd, as a Red Sox fan, uh, tell me what that reaction would be. <laughs> well, uh, I, I, I would suspect, Buster, you would hear some, some rancor, some booze most likely. Yeah. You know, these fan bases – that have been around for a long, long, long time. Do not forget, uh, there's a level of interest and passion that exists in a place like Boston that um, is unlike certain other places. So, yeah, that could be a problem. And listen, we could be on a collision course for, with this, um, and and um, it's not a good situation. And thanks for yucking my yum, because despite the last couple of nights, the Red Sox have clearly been on a tear, I think this occurred after you asked me to be worried sometime in early May, maybe. So we'll see how things shake out. Yeah. I, the, and part of the interesting part about this is that you and I, as we talk, I talked about this with X before, uh, is that when you look at the American League East standings, there's a pretty good chance the Red Sox and the Blue Jays are going to play each other. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So again, the there's are that far ahead. And I don't think there's – the Red Sox are a terrific team. They're killing the ball. They'll probably make additions before the trade deadline. The Blue Jays, you had, uh, you know, folks like myself uh, wooed by them to the degree that I picked them to win the World Series. They're a really good team, too, and they're probably going to hold on to the number one and number two wild card spots. 
Yeah. Yeah. Here's the collision course that you can see down the tracks months and months away. This time of year, the the potential matchups become more clear, even with the expanded postseason, because the wheat and the chaff will inevitably start to separate somewhere around the All-Star game. I have a friend of mine who has always been of the opinion, and I agree, the baseball season is kind of the perfect length. The pretenders and the contenders start to separate at a very, you know, it's like it's like a it's like the Belmont Stakes, right? <laughs> Some right. horses who are in the lead all of a sudden start to lag. So we can definitely see this. And yeah, having just been to Toronto, you need a passport. You need to uh, upload your all of that. So we'll see what happens. But it doesn't make me very, uh, very satisfied right now. I want satisfaction, Buster. I can't get no. <laughs> I would say this. You and I are being really polite. My good friend, Dan Shaughnessy, colonist for the Boston Globe, not being quite as polite in his commentary. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's pretty aggressive. Uh, right. Yeah. I, I don't want to go there. It's complicated, but, but <laughs> to wrap it up in this case, it's really not so complicated. If I, you know, I mean, you do what you got to do for the team. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm, I'm curious to see what conversations they have internally uh, within the Red Sox organization. All right, let's get to this week's Phantom franchise. Oh, Buster, I have been waiting for this. This is a great one, I think. So, in 1975, the Chicago White Sox were in deep, deep financial trouble. The A's were looking to leave Oakland, and the American League was being sued by Seattle for having allowed the move of the Seattle Pilots to Milwaukee five years earlier. Creative solutions were most certainly in order, and we very nearly wound up with a three-city shuffle that would have landed the White Sox in Seattle the A's in Chicago playing their home games at Comiskey Park. This arrangement would have solved several problems. The A's were struggling in Oakland, as were their Bay Area neighbors, the San Francisco Giants, who would have had the territory all to themselves if the A's had moved. Sounds familiar, right? Charlie Finley's personal and business base of operations were both in Chicago, where his relocated A's would have retained the name Chicago White Sox. So no more A's. The transplanted Chicago franchise would take on a new name in Seattle. As for Seattle, they would have settled a pending $20 million triple damages lawsuit against baseball with the acquisition of a new team. Appropriately, the story got even more weird when legendary baseball innovator owner Bill Veck got involved. Veck, who had previously owned the White Sox, worked out a deal with beleaguered White Sox owner John Allen to buy the team for $9.75 million, thus securing the club for Chicago. American League owners approved the deal at a tumultuous meeting on December 10th of that year. The White Sox remained the White Sox, the A's stayed put in Oakland, and Seattle was officially awarded an expansion franchise the following February 6th. And the city of Seattle, King County, and the state of Washington conditionally settled their joint lawsuit against the American League the following week. But, Buster, today we contemplate a dizzying scenario with the former Oakland A's reimagined as the Chicago White Sox and the White Sox, the Seattle something Runners, who are this week's phantom franchises. I love this history. Uh, and I, as uh, I was listening to you, I was just imagining the other owners hearing Charlie Findlay uh, you know, plea for an arrangement that would get him the franchise in Chicago. And I was thinking, and I 
look, I wasn't covering baseball when this all played out, believe it or not. Uh, and my gut is that other owners would have told Charlie, who was kind of like a fly in the ointment. Would you agree with me with the other owners that they would have got? Yeah, you're, you're putting it kindly now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and listen, every week we talk about a phantom franchise and we have had many instances where Charlie Finley tried to shift his club to Louisville, to Denver. Time and time again, we're seeing this. Again, history repeating itself without him in the picture with this franchise on the way to Vegas, perhaps, perhaps. But the uh, the fact that he would have been moving to what was considered, I mean, Chicago being probably at that time the third largest city in, in America still, maybe number two, second city back in those days, uh, a decaying plant of operations at Comiskey Park. Not a desirable situation necessarily, but um, everything works out in the end. But I, I've always thought about this potential story that the athletics name, which dates back to the 1860s, if I'm not mistaken, in one way, shape, or form, would have disappeared into the ether. And that would have hmm. been a shame. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And you know what's so funny, too, is that you're, as you were just running through that, I was like, boy, in the first, you know, for the first 50 years of the American League, uh, there probably wasn't, and I know they had some the fire sales where they're dumping because of financial issues. They were dumping players and then uh, building dynasties and then dumping players again. But that was a team that had the same at <laughs> Connie Mack there in a suit and into his eighties, Todd, like that, that was a team you could, you know, you knew that was going to be exactly what it always was. And it turned out now they're a team that uh, even to this day, we don't know where they're going to be tomorrow. It feels like. All right. Agabons. And, and the fact that, Connie Mack, who you just alluded to, managed the team into his dotage. Well, that set them on a on a you know a failing course uh, in Philadelphia, floundering franchise wound up in Kansas City, and here they are. And Buster, so before we dive into this week's quiz, what, I, I, we haven't talked about this lately. What happens to the A's? Do they wind up in Vegas with no relocation? Right. Team? Like, I've got the answer to that. All I know is I always make reference to this whenever we get the, you know, Rob Manfred's most recent, uh, well, we need to solve the Oakland ballpark situation. Like, yeah, they formed a special committee on this in 2006, okay? We had players who were like toddlers, current players who were toddlers <laughs> the last time they formed a special committee. So I, who knows? Uh, I once spoke with a person in the athletics organization said, you know what? I'm not going to pay attention to any of it until someone puts a shovel in the ground. Then we'll go, okay, here we go. Oof. Well, that that's, yeah, I mean, you're probably right. And um, and I feel bad for the fan base oh, um, totally. who does go out there and certainly not having a real reason to uh, to come out and spend money on your team. We can all relate sometimes. Exactly. All right. Uh, let's get to this week's quiz. And Taylor, you need to report back here. Like we started the show with Sarah, you know, uh, glowing about her sister's wedding. And that was a lot of fun. But as you and I start, I'm seeing she's not available for this week's quiz. What's up with that? Buster, we are a busy business over here. You know, we've got the college basketball podcast in late June, obviously very important. We've got John Shire on that show. And, yeah. you know, I had to make a judgment call. Like, am I going to produce this show or am I going to produce bald men? You know, in the summer, Buster, you're my priority. So I put Sarah on that show. I'm sorry she's missing the quiz because she is definitely sorely missed. Well, and I was going to say, I kind of wondered strategically, she's such a nice person, which I think covers up 
the duplicity that she is figuring she wants to stay ahead of you in the standings according to percentage points. Yeah, you know, she actually, she was saying, and this would have been great to have her on to talk about it, but she had a gripe, Todd. She thinks she's won more than you were you were saying the last scoreboard update. So what? you two will have to have a chat about that. She was a little fired up. Taylor, I will, I will be very, very happy to share a screenshot of my system that I am looking at on my Please. screen now. I have this color-coded Excel spreadsheet that I update instantaneously. So Buster's going to give me an answer. I take a blue or, or a green box with his <laughs> initial in it, and I assign it into a column. And if it's not color-coded yellow beneath it, then it is not the correct answer. So uh, I've got the goods if she needs it. And again, I know where she's coming from, but see what happens when you don't participate regularly. You mm. fall out of this cadence <laughs> and bad things happen. Yeah, the stupid, those dumb sibling weddings. Goodness gracious. I know, right? What a I waste mean, set time. those aside. This quiz is much more important. Mm -hmm. right? Priority. Right, let's do this, uh, this quiz. It'll be me against Taylor. All right, guys. Here we go. Going into the 2022 season, this franchise had the worst all-time cumulative winning percentage among the 30 MLB clubs. Is it A, the Padres, B, the Marlins, C, the Phillies, or D, the Rockies? Going into this season, this franchise, worst all-time cumulative winning percentage among all the clubs. Padres, Marlins, Phillies, Rockies. Wow. That's a great question. I'm going to say the Phillies. See, I will go. See, I think Buster. I think Buster's on to something here because I feel like those teams, the other teams, haven't been around as long. So I'm also going to go Phillies. You're both wrong because it Damn. is the Marlins at at 461 oh. playing 461 ball. The Phillies with an elevated 472. Uh, how close were the Padres? Because that was my second choice. 462. Oh, that close. So I, I wasn't even close. And the Rockies at 470. Yeah, we weren't even close. We, mm. In fact, we picked the team that had the highest winning percentage <laughs> of the Fords. What you're telling us. Yeah, I was go that's Rockies. exactly what I'm telling you. So, so my message to Sarah would be that had she been not attending her sister's wedding and had she been playing this quiz, which she should be here with us early in the morning, she would have had this door open to walk right in. Opportunity squandered. All right, Todd, thanks for doing this. All right, guys, thanks. Bleacher Tweets. All righty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Wednesday. Alistair Hay at DiceCon writes, an emotional weekend in Atlanta. Freddie Freeman changing agents. Tell us, Braves fan, how to feel. Buster, have you ever seen something like this in sports? Is there a chance Freddie Freeman wears a Braves jersey ever again? Tagging Taylor because he's no second fiddle. Yeah, I think on one hand, Braves fans should be bummed out because as Freddie, I think, feels right now, this is a relationship that probably should have continued going into the future. But, you know, I've told, said many times in the podcast, my son is a huge Braves fan. And after it all played out, he was like, you know what? Matt Olson's a pretty good player, too. Michael Preston at McP1979 writes in, do you think the criticism of Freddie Freeman is out of hand? I mean, he's batting 10 points above his career average, also up on career OBP. While his feelings may be split, surely the Dodgers can't question his on-the-field commitment. Yeah, the last eight games, I'll repeat the numbers. Hitting 412, 487 on base percentage, 706 slugging percentage as he's weeping all over the place. So he's doing <laughs> fine. 
It's impressive. Mitchell at Tigers of Detroit writes in the Red Sox are a good team, but seem to lack an ace without a healthy sale. Assuming sale is not ready or effective. Who is your game one starter in a playoff series? Great question. Mitchell, I think he's going to be back. Uh, I, I, you know, he's got a rehab. Uh, his rehabilitation has continued. He seems to be making progress. He seems to throw in a lot better than last year. But here's the thing. The last we heard from Chris Sale, he's not vaccinated. If they have to play that uh, first round series in Toronto, he wouldn't be eligible to play. It's a big deal. Problematic indeed. P.K. Steinberg writes in, will the Pirates trade Brian Reynolds this season? Yes, I believe that they will. Uh, there was a feeling among other teams that the Pirates might have overplayed their hand by not dealing him before uh, we had the lockout. And even in spring training, he's been raking of late. He's hitting over 300 for the month of June. Now's the time to deal him if you're going to get value. Andrew Campbell at Real Camp Drew writes in, Hey, Buster, you are the GM of the Yankees at the trade deadline, and unfortunately the Joey Gallo era in the Bronx has ended. Do you decide to call up Miguel and Duhar and let a combo of Miggy, Hicks, and Stan patrol the corners, or do you ship in another outfield bat? Yep, you're going to. By the way, Brian Reynolds, I think, is one of the guys they're going to talk about. Andrew Benintendi is another. The Royals have told other teams you're ready to talk about him. Last one for today, Matt Kalman at Matt Kalman writes in, is Brandon Hyde the AL Manager of the Year? A little early, but I like it. Yeah, he's in the conversation for sure. Um, uh, you know, I don't think anyone's going to feel sorry for the Yankees, but the fact that the Yankees are playing this well uh, above expectations, I think they will absolutely be in the conversation. What do you think, Taylor? Yeah, he's definitely in the mix. It's just it's too early. If the if the Orioles kind of if they can get to 500 or around there yeah. and they continue to improve, then yeah, he'll be in the conversation. Well, and I'll give you another one. If the Guardians make the playoffs, right, mm -hmm. with their what fifty million dollar payroll, <laughs> uh, I think our friend Terry Francona has got a real chance. Can never be wrong. Me mad at uh, at Tito, so I'll I'll give you that for sure. All right, that's it for Bleacher tweets. Hashtag Bleacher tweets on Twitter. Thanks for writing in, everyone. That's it for today. My thanks to Xavier, Todd, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus Chews provides one-and-done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NextGuard Plus Chews.